Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Bagoons Barrage, the state of New England sports podcast with me, your host as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. Well, we've got a good one for you, as hopefully we always do here at Bagoons Barrage. We will, of course, talk about the Boston Bruins and how well they are playing and continuing to play under new head coach Bruce Cassidy. I think after eight games, when do you wear off the new label? Well, granted, he's still the interim coach, so I guess you have to really call him still new head coach. But we'll talk about how well the Bruins are playing, the big hit delivered by Colin Miller that he will not get disciplined for. And yes, oh yes, we will delve into the Celtics' big win over LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, a 103-99 victory. But before we get into either one of those games, I have to point out that my good buddy, Matt Sullivan, who works for a number of different companies and is an absolute maven in producing, creating websites, he completely revamped my website, jakedonnelly.com. More than likely, you have visited that website in order to listen to this podcast. And if you have done so, thank you. If you have not, what in the world is wrong with you? But go over, take a look at jakedonnelly.com. Sully, who is from Boston. Yes, Sully from Boston, about as stereotypical as you can possibly get. But Sully from Boston, he does tremendous work, works for a company called Yelling Mule, as well as a few others. And it is just phenomenal, I think, what he did with my website. So if you like that, check him out. Matt Sullivan uh, out of Boston. He does beautiful work and a little bit of background. He also had one of the gutsiest walks in the history of college baseball. Yeah, he was our center fielder at Trinity College and... He, with the bases loaded down by one, took a 3-2 inside fastball to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. And then the next batter, Guy Gagliatino, had a 12-pitch walk, which gave Trinity College, the team I did some wonderful backup and bullpen catching for, uh, won the national title. But Sully, a fantastic baseball player, even better at producing and creating websites. So if you like jakedonnelly.com, Try to reach out to Sully. I'll give you all the contact information. And if you go to my website, you can get in contact with me quite easily there on the website as well as on my Twitter handle, which is Jacob Donnelly 31. That is J-A-C-O-B-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y, the number three, the number one. And yeah, it kind of sounded like I forgot how to spell my name for a second, but hey, that's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. All right, so enough about that and the wonderful work that Matt Sullivan does. Let's jump into this Celtics fantastic win, 103 to 99 over the Cavaliers. Now, I took a couple of days off because of the website building, so I was not able to produce a podcast after the Celtics dropped that awful game to the Atlanta Hawks at home. That game was an aberration. There was no effort in the second half against the Atlanta Hawks. And for whatever you want to say about this Boston Celtics team, a lack of effort is almost never something that you can say and you would be 
correct about. You would be factual. However, if you said that there was no effort in the game against the Atlanta Hawks, my goodness, you would be 100% spot on. So then what happens? You have a mini two-game homestand, and the final game is against the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James. You're in need of a win. You're four games behind the Cavaliers entering the game, five games back in the loss column. There's no such thing when you're the two-seed in the regular season as needing a win, but with the way that the Celtics were playing and the fact that Avery Bradley actually started the prior game against the Hawks, yeah, you kind of... You were starting to feel bad about yourself. And what's uh, what ends up happening? Yup. This is a great game for team. Please don't trade any of the guards or small forwards. And that is exactly what you got. Of course, IT Isaiah Thomas was Isaiah Thomas, an absolute rock, especially in the fourth quarter. A couple of dagger passes, a just bombski from way beyond the three-point line that really swung the final minute of the game against the Cavaliers. But you also had Jay Crowder hitting a go-ahead three off of a pass of, uh, from Isaiah Thomas, and you also had Avery Bradley hitting a three in the final minute off of a pass from Isaiah Thomas. And this is what I and many other people were talking about when – the trade deadline rumors were coming about. Oh, we uh, we should get Jimmy Butler. We should get Paul George. But the problem with me is the math. Everybody always talks about and thinks about what you are getting back. Are Jimmy Butler and Paul George wonderful NBA players? Of course they are. However, if you have to give up a Marcus Smart, if you have to give up and Avery Bradley, if you have to give up A.J. Crowder, who are guys that can play both ways about as well as anybody else in the NBA, not in terms of superstar, but these are guys that will help you win games, not just in the regular season, but also, more importantly, in the playoffs. If you want to get rid of them, what you are telling me is that you do not understand what gets wins, especially clutch wins, uh, clutch wins that is. The Celtics... They have more clutch wins than anybody else in the NBA, but yet so many people want to disrupt this team. And now that the NBA trade deadline has passed, thank God, there's no more trades. All you can do is the buyouts or you can release some guys. But uh, the fact that so many people were willing to just part with guys that all they do is provide wins, it was so baffling to me. And we'll start most importantly with the guy that hit a huge three and played lockdown defense on Kyrie Irving. That, of course, is Avery Bradley. Okay, people. So let's think about this for a second. Uh, Kyrie Irving is probably, what, top three in the NBA in terms of ball handling skills, if not the best ball handler in the NBA. So how many people do you think can guard Kyrie Irving one-on-one -on -one with the game and <clears throat> Golden State Warriors, the NBA championship, on the line? Yeah, there's not many. Avery Bradley, he is, in fact, one of those guys. He shut down Kyrie Irving on the final possession of the game. Irving was only able to get his shot off because of a big, and well done, as a Paul Pierce fan, 
have to say it was well done. But with a huge, clear push-off, gained separation. But even with the push-off, Bradley was still somehow able to get in the way of the shot, bother the shot. Irving missed it. And while Cleveland did get the rebound back, and James, uh, give him credit, great pass into the corner for Darren Williams. Williams, though, he missed the three-pointer, and the Celtics, of course, would go on to win after the rebound by Crowder and the knockdown uh, free throws. But Bradley was the guy that everybody, they just somehow and for some reason forgot about during all this trade talk. And it confused me so much. A couple episodes back, I listed the numbers between Avery Bradley and Jimmy Butler. Bradley gets seven rebounds per game. He averages just about 18 points per game. Butler gets seven more points, 24 and a half points per game, not as many rebounds. Avery, great passer, but an even better defensive player. And when you stack the numbers up and then you throw the fact that Bradley can stop the other team from getting points, case in point, the final possession of the game against the Cavaliers, against the guy that won the championship, did I call it the national championship a second ago? Whatever. But he won the NBA championship for the Cavaliers last year. He hit the game-winning and championship-sealing bucket. There was nobody on the Golden State Warriors that can play defense the way that Avery Bradley can play defense. So you see just how valuable Avery Bradley is in the game last night. He hits the three. Huge three in the final minute, and then he goes and he shuts down Irving, and the Celtics win instead of the Cavaliers. I, I do not understand this. Yeah, maybe people forgot about him and didn't trust him coming back to full health because of the Achilles tendonitis, but I mean, what you saw last night against the Cavaliers from Avery Bradley is exactly what you get from him. He is that secondary scorer the guy that's going to alleviate the burden for Isaiah Thomas. Case in point, last night. And of course, what ended up happening? Oh yeah, the Celtics come away with the win. All right, so we hit on Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder. He hits a big three, and he finishes off the game by not just getting the big rebound after the Williams miss, but also knocking down the two free throws. Now, the numbers for Crowder last night, 17 points and 10 rebounds. I said at the trading deadline, I want Danny Ainge to get a rebounder. I feel like that's not, you know, the hardest thing to ask for, especially after the buyout market where everybody thought that Bogut was going to go to the Cavaliers. And then the reports came out that maybe Boston had a chance. Boston threw something at him, and Bogut said, no, I'm going to go sign with the Cavaliers. So there were options in the buyout market. I still haven't heard what's going on with Luis Scola. I do not absolutely want to hear from Scola whatsoever. I just, it, it's, it's too hard to try to... Um, it's just too hard to root for Scola. He is such a uh, just dirty player to watch. I don't like him. It'd be like if you asked me, would you have LeBron James on the um, would you have LeBron James on the Celtics and he would get you a championship? Would you root for him? Honestly, if it meant selling my soul to get LeBron James on the Celtics, I, I honestly think that I would say a big old nope skis 
And Scola, while he is not the spawn of Satan that I believe LeBron James is, I still don't see myself ever coming to terms and somehow rooting for Scola. But uh, the Celtics, they couldn't get a big man with the buyout market. Jordan Mickey hasn't developed. Amir Johnson is putting together some good minutes. Somehow Tyler Zeller has like a minute or two the last couple of games and playing decent basketball. But bringing us back to the original point, Jay Crowder, 17-10 and 10 in last night's game. Of course, the huge three. I say that a lot, but then again, Celtics hit pivotal three after pivotal three, and it wasn't just one guy. It was Isaiah Thomas. It was Avery Bradley. It was Jay Crowder. They were playing great clutch basketball, but Crowder goes for 17 and 10, and in the four games since the All-Star break, Crowder has put up double-digit rebounds in two of those four games. So you take a look, and yeah, while you need the big, if Crowder can step up his rebounding, getting double digits in half the games, that's huge. If Avery Bradley comes back healthy, which he has shown he now is capable of, Bradley provides about eight rebounds per game. I mean, I'm sorry, that is seven rebounds per game. Right there, that's 17 rebounds. That is really going to help you out. And in the game last night, the Celtics out-rebounded the Cavaliers. Yes, Tristan Thompson did have six offensive boards alone. But when you out-rebound the other team, when the Celtics out-rebound the other team, there is... <laughs> they're like 18-1, and one, I think, this season when they out-rebound the other team. So if you out-rebound them, the Celtics are going to win. And I think the ascension of Avery Bradley this year that everybody forgot about because of his Achilles tendonitis injury and now Jay Crowder all of a sudden doing work on the defensive boards and a little bit on the offensive side, that's going to provide more rebounding. And as I just said a moment ago, more rebounding means more wins if you are the Boston Celtics and more wins. Hey, <laughs> that's the name of the game. All right, so Bradley Crowder, IT. Now we have to talk about a guy that has not gotten a lot of love. And not just not gotten a lot of love, as I, as I throw double negative after double negative in here, but in fact has received a lot of hate for the way he has played lately. And of course, I'm talking about Al Horford. Now, Al Horford signed a max contract in the offseason. Many people thought that Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, Isaiah Thomas getting Horford here. They were somehow going to convince then Kevin Durant to sign with the Celtics. Of course, that did not happen. But Al Horford deserves max money. Max money is not what you guys think it is. Three guys on a team can have max money. For the Celtics, it should be Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford, and then Player X. We don't know who Player X is. I want a bigger guy. But honestly, if they get really anybody and sign them to a max contract, anybody that's like a top 25 player, this is a championship team. Now, I'm not saying this isn't currently, as it is situated, a championship team, but I think that there is the hump known as the Cleveland Cavaliers that is going to be extremely difficult to overtake and overcome. But as you saw last night, yes, that was a somewhat depleted Cleveland Cavaliers team playing without Kevin Love, but the Boston Celtics 
always play the Cavaliers tough. Over um, New Year's, the Celtics and Cavaliers played. Celtics were getting crushed, and they made it a game in the final minute, had a chance to win that game. You go back to last year, and oh yeah, who was that guy that made the game-winning three? Avery Bradley, that people apparently wanted to get rid of because he's 26 years old. Bradley's a heck of a player and the type of player that, yeah, you can win a championship with. But Al Horford is also one of those guys that you absolutely can win a championship with. Now, for some reason, since the All-Star break, Horford has had all sorts of trouble scoring scoring, uh, in general. But with Horford, last night he scored nine points. Now, people might take a look at that and the fact he only took two shots in the second half. But he was all over the place everywhere else. He had two offensive rebounds, 10 total. He had 10 assists. He only turned the ball over twice. He had one block and the type of defense he played, phenomenal. He did it without fouling, fouling, which is such a problem for the Celtics. It seems like all the time that the opposing teams are in the bonus. Well, last night, the Celtics defense, they did a great job. Horford just one foul, and he was a plus 11, which was third on the team behind Jay Crowder's plus 12. And, oh yeah, the little guy, Isaiah Thomas, who was a plus 13. If you have no idea where that voice came from, you need to watch some... Uh, Comcast New England with Tommy Heinsohn, who is wonderful. If you're not from New England, you hate Tommy Heinsohn. If you're from New England, you hate Tommy Heinsohn. But also, if you don't know the history of basketball, you probably hate Tommy Heinsohn. And if you know the history of basketball, you probably like Tommy Heinsohn. But um, Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, and Al Horford all showing up last night. Everybody did. The depth on this team was so good. Jalen Brown ended up playing uh, 22 minutes. He had eight points. He took just seven shots. He was a little bit rushed, and he made some rookie mistakes. He blew a two-for-one at the end of two different quarters. I think it was the first and third quarters where he blew the two for one. But he also chipped in with seven rebounds. And you're starting to see Jalen Brown really pick things up on the rebounding, on the glass. And as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that is where you are going to see. And and the other thing with the Celtics is that in last night's game, they had six blocks. Six different players came up with blocks. This is not a team that really defends the paint well and protects the rim. But six guys came up with blocks, including Isaiah Thomas, who had an amazing block of Tristan Thompson. It was just an all-around terrific effort. And it was a game that the Celtics, for a couple of minutes there in the fourth quarter, did not look like they were going to win. But, of course, they did. And you win because guys make winning plays. And when we say and when we talk about winning plays, uh, we have to talk about Marcus Smart. Smart had some, as he always does, interesting moments in the game last night. But fast forward to the fourth quarter, Marcus Smart, you just cannot say enough about Marcus Smart. He drew back-to-back charges in the fourth quarter when every possession was so pivotal. Back-to-back plays, he understood exactly where the ball was going. Defensively speaking, this guy, it seems like the game 
just kind of slows down for him, and he is always in the right spot defensively. Uh, let's forget about the uh, Kyle Korver three. Yes. He guessed wrong, trying to go under the screen instead of over, and Korver hit a go-ahead three, which was then erased by a Boston uh, go-ahead three. But Isaiah Thomas, uh, sorry, make that Marcus Smart, just the way he plays defense and how he seems to just move his feet and get to the spot in the nick of time to do things like draw charges, it is wonderful. And as a defensively-minded guy myself, it is so much fun to watch Marcus Smart. He's such a hard nose. He's like a viper out there. When he dies for loose balls, he yeah, just coils like a snake and then shoots himself out. I don't know how he does it. The charges are beautiful. And just the height of smart, intelligent basketball defense. The other thing that I was really upset about with the game last night, though, was in the third quarter, we did, in fact, answer or get the answer to the question, is it illegal for NBA players to box out? Marcus Smart, a beautiful box out, perfect textbook box out in the third quarter, and he was called for a foul. So there you have it. It is actually... According to the NBA refs, if you looked at last night's game, it is, yes, actually illegal to box out, which is good because I've been yelling for years now that is it in asking, is it in fact illegal to box out in the NBA? We got our answer last night. Yes, yes it is, which I guess I should stop, you know, kind of just worrying about it, but. I feel like boxing out should be a legal part of basketball. I mean, call me crazy, whatever. Uh, Avery Bradley's return, Marcus Smart doing a terrific job. A uh, couple other things. Two more points about last night's game. So the Celtics, they are a good defensive team. They've been better in years past. This year, things were kind of going iffy, but now all of a sudden you hold the Cleveland Cavaliers to 99 points. You can see, yeah. The Celtics' defense is starting to turn things around. Uh, the microcosm of that was Avery Bradley's defense on Kyrie Irving at the end of the game. But the other thing was that they just tended to battle. They were battling a lot more in last night's game. They forced seven turnovers. They were credited with four steals in the game. I mentioned the six blocks. They really just had a tendency to bear down when it mattered most. And uh, they were active hands. They had just those four steals. There were a bunch more plays where they got their hands in passing lanes, tipping the ball, really disrupting the offense of the Cavaliers. An all-around great game defensively for the Celtics. And it just seemed like they were winning more of the 50-50 battles. And sometimes things don't go your way. I talked about the uh, horrible box-out foul call on Marcus Smart. And there were numerous numerous horrendous calls, calls that if you have watched the NBA with LeBron James, you expect LeBron James and his teammates to get. And we saw it last night. Jonas Jerebko uh, guarding Derek Williams and literally not touching him and Jerebko getting called for the foul. LeBron James trying to go for a hard layup, rolling his ankle, and Jay Crowder gets called for the foul when Jay Crowder did not touch him. LeBron James taking a charge when his feet were in the restricted area and getting the call for the charge instead of a blocking foul on LeBron James. As a fan, you start to lose your cool. As a player, it is even more difficult. And yet, 
the Celtics, who had been acting like babies on the court in the prior three games, kept their cool. They maintained their composure, and I really think that that had a ton to do with the fact that they were somehow able to come up with the victory last night in a game where it seemed like so many things were going against them. Final point in the Celtics game, especially because of the difference in the way that the game was flowing in last night's game as opposed to the previous three games. Uh, People starting to say post-All-Star break that defenses have figured Isaiah Thomas out. Well, Thomas scored 31 points yesterday. So first off, shut up. You're wrong. You're going to be wrong no matter what. You can't stop a guy that's 5'8 and somehow attacks the rim against seven footers, against the trees, into the trees, into the forest, as people like to say, and a guy that can knock down threes from seven feet outside of the three-point line. Like, you're not going to play defense against a guy like that and hold him down. But what I saw last night and what made me really confident going forward and going into the playoffs is Isaiah Thomas's passing. He was the guy that found Crowder. He was the guy that found uh, Avery Bradley for the threes in the final minute of play. He also knocked down a disgustingly crazy three of his own. He was able to make those passes, but more so, he also took a couple of mid-range in-the-paint pull-ups. He needs to start doing that a little bit more because what he does sometimes when he gets in trouble, he's still tremendous at finishing around the rim, but sometimes he goes into and wants to get those layups when the open shot is the 8-footer. The open shot is the 12-footer as opposed to can take, uh, as opposed to taking the ever-contested Uh, the ever-contested layup. So we saw it a couple of times. He knocked down a couple late in the game from about 8 to 10 feet. I think you'll see a little bit more of that from Isaiah Thomas. And when he does that, good things are going to happen because then it opens up the passing lanes, as we saw with the threes from Crowder and from Bradley. It will let him score easier points, but it will also give him the ability to do that disturbingly good hesitation move in the paint to get to easier layups. And I think that's the name of the game when it's Isaiah Thomas. (laughs) Open up passing lanes, hit mid-range jumper, and get the contested layups, and then when you're beyond the three-point line, knocking him down. All right, so I think actually I've went way over the time I meant to discussing (laughs) um, the Celtics game here. So we only have about five more minutes left, but Uh, The Celtics, a great game for them. Everybody doing their part to win that game. I do have to throw one out. Jonas Jerebko, no more mask. Jonas Jerebko, huge three in the fourth quarter to tie the game after the Cavaliers had taken a three-point lead. So really just everybody playing the way they need to. So quick discussion here about the Boston Bruins. Bruins are now 7-1 under Bruce Cassidy. They have scored... Four or more goals in six of those eight games. Uh, It's just, it's like it's an entirely different team. You hear so much about coaching and the coach's offense or the game plan, the system, the coach's system that they like to employ. With Claude Julian, we've mentioned it time and time again. Claude Julian, defensive-minded coach. Claude Julian has 
a defensive system. Bruce Cassidy, more of an offensive-minded coach, and all of a sudden, the Bruins, they are showing that this team has had the talent. They have proved me wrong real easily that they've had the talent. I just thought that maybe this team was not deep enough, but that is not the case. Yes, uh, they played most recently the Coyotes, or as I like to say, the Coyotes, and it's not the best team in the NHL. I get it. But the way that they played, the way that they smothered them late in the game, we saw that against the LA Kings. They did a decent version of that against the Dallas Stars. And this team has something going right now. When you add on top of that to Karask and the fact that he is, yes, one of the best goalies in the NHL, in the world, then, you know, there's some good things going on. And Everything you hear from guys, it's about how much more fun they are having under Bruce Cassidy. Now, my mom had a great quote. Yeah, winning is the most fun thing in the world. And that is true. When you're winning, everything is fun. But it's also more fun to score. Uh, goals, assists, awesome slap shots, great puck movement. That is more fun than playing the defensive-minded game that the Bruins were playing under Claude Julian. And I think it simply freed up players like Ryan Spooner, like David Krejci, who have had like a renaissance under Bruce Cassidy. And this is now the team that people were complaining about in the previous two years about where's the offense? Where is the heart of this team? And you're starting to see it, and you're also starting to see huge hits. And this will be the last point of this episode. Colin Miller gave a perfect textbook hit to Alex Bermistrov. Bermistrov was knocked out on the ice. Scary moment. You never want to see that. It was a buddy pass. It was an absolutely just horrendous pass to give Bermistrov. He had the lunge for it, which put his head down. And although Miller, Colin Miller, kept his elbow tucked and his shoulder down, the shoulders still seemed to make head contact. And the head also then hit the ice. But you cannot at all take that hit out of hockey. It was a clean hit. And if you want even further proof of why you cannot take that hit out of the game of hockey, look to the end of the second period. The Bruins had just taken the lead 3-1. There is less than 20 seconds to go. The Coyotes are trying to get the puck out of their own zone. There's a pass up to the blue line, and Shara, who is at the point, had gone about two strides into the neutral zone. He reads the pass and starts to come up. I forget who the forward was for the Coyotes, but he shied away from the contact, and you know, because it was another bad pass from the defenseman up ice, that he's thinking in his head, I'm about to get wrecked by the biggest guy in the NHL in Zidane Ochara. And that's exactly what was going to happen, but he shies away from the hit touches the puck, and coming through the neutral zone like he shot out of a cannon is Brad Marchand. And Marchand, he goes, Deeks Smith goes for the wraparound and scores the goal. You cannot take that hit out of the NHL because if you take that hit out of the NHL, you take that goal out of the NHL. The reason that you deliver those hits, the reason you play hard hitting well and within the rule book hockey is because it opens up things for your forwards and it leads to goals. Case in point, right there. Huge hit by Colin Miller. He gets the match penalty. 
and that's more than likely going to be rescinded. But he gets the match penalty sent out. Doesn't stop Chara from looking as if he is going to absolutely lay the wood later in the second period, just about seven minutes later in uh, game time. That leads to a Brad Marchand goal. So there is hockey. Hard hitting leads to goals for the offense. Defense to offense, everything going right right now for the Bruins. And it seems like the Celtics, after a little bit of a quick kind of rut, have turned things around. So everything going well for them as well. Bruins, Celtics, state of New England, everything is good. Thank you for tuning in, as always, here to Bagoons Pro uh, the Bagoons Barrage with me, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or night, whenever it is that you are listening to this. See you, folks, from New England. Stain